Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's always soccer in Philadelphia on a Wednesday afternoon, a beautiful Wednesday afternoon. No fancy music, no introduction. Uh, for this show, quite frankly, I just didn't feel like doing it. Just ran out of time. Got a lot on my plate. I got another website I'm running now. I got two kids. You know, we're trying to make it all work here, right? So, uh, but we will always find time for the Always Soccer in Philadelphia program. And we will always find time uh, for today's guest who rejoins the program for a third or fourth time, something like that. It's uh, John Tannenwald from the Philadelphia Inquirer. JT, how are you? Man? Hello, my friend. I didn't know you were running another website you know, bootleg operation now. What's this? Yeah. One? Yeah. We have a New York site crossing. Well, the company that owns crossing Broad is a New York site too. It's called elite sports in New York. So it's we called, have, called uh, crossing, uh, crossing union square with all the hipsters down there. who shop crossing, Foods. crossing into Yankee stadium, which is shaped like a rhombus and might not even be regulation size. Um, yeah. yeah so we run, we run, uh, ESNY elite sports, in New York. We have a new guy running that site. So I'm kind of overseeing him and just helping him, uh, Get a foot in the door. So if we have anybody who listens to the podcast that also likes New York sports, uh, check out Elite Sports New York, ESNY. Um, if anybody do... who likes Washington sports. No, I... nah, listen, nobody gives a shit about Washington sports. There's only one person I know that gives a shit about Washington sports. Uh, I'm with Schmanenwald. Sh- 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 yes. Um, how are you feeling, man? You, you just tested negative finally. Yeah, I had COVID. I actually had to make a point to your listeners, if you don't know anybody who has had COVID and you know me, then you know somebody who had COVID. So you are not at the game last night. We're recording on Wednesday. Uh, it was I did not. I, mean, I did go to the U.S. game or to the Union Columbus. I was very much still in, in quarantine on Saturday for the Union crew game. But, well, uh, even though you didn't go to uh, Subaru for either one of those games, let me, let me give me give me your thoughts because I know that they uh, they hammered Uzbekistan, yeah, nine uh, nothing. Uh, Dennis Rodman's daughter Trinity got uh, her first. I think it was her first goal right yeah. for the national team. What, what was what was like the takeaway? What's what's the like the, the story from that? Trinity Rodman's first national team goal was practically one of the big takeaways. She's really good. Yeah, she is. At you know, nineteen twenty, already making plenty of a name for herself in the soccer world beyond the fact that she is Dennis Rodman's daughter, and they really um, did not have much of a relationship for a long time. He went to one of her games, I think, last year, and it was a total surprise yeah. to her as much as anything. So you know, granted, I'm a soccer guy in the soccer world. Um, Trinity Rodman is absolutely you know going to get some fame for being Dennis Rodman's daughter, but she is very quickly going to become um, a significant name in her own right, I think. Does that help her or does that hurt her? I'm leaning towards the the former because I think like you can pull people in or you can pique their interest by saying, hey, Dennis Rodman, everybody knows Dennis Rodman. His daughter plays for the national team now. And then maybe people are saying, oh, well, that's interesting. You know, like I'll pay attention to that or I'll focus on that. It's not like she has anything to, I mean – She's not playing basketball, right? She's not yeah. playing in the WNBA. But, I mean, it's not like she's got something to live up to right. that her dad did, you know? Right. But here's so like, it's going to help bring some people in. 
and she knows that she's talked about it before. It's going to help bring some people in, but it's been a while. Yeah. It's been quite a while now, in fact, which doesn't yeah. make you or I look any good. Yeah. You know, we're getting um, old, but Dennis, Dennis Robin is not play. Yeah. Dennis Robin has not played basketball in something like 20 years. You right. Know? So, so, you know, the young <laughs> soccer fans out there, they, they, I Some of them know who Dennis Rodman is, but you know where I'm going with like not a lot of people anymore know who Dennis Rodman was. Yeah, yeah, so, it make me feel old. Um, it's uh, you know, so that's that's part of my point. Um, the soccer fans are going to know her in her own right, which I think is good for her. Yeah, yeah, and and if it brings some extra people in, you know, Charles Haley's kid plays soccer too. You and I know who Charles Haley is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of the NWSL fans don't. True. Um, anyway, you back to the point. This, this U.S. team that we saw. Uh, how about I do that and make my audio quality even better? I had a switch bonked on my Zoom incorrectly. Oh, yeah. Did you have the wrong probably, microphone or something? Yes, I had the wrong microphone. I did Sorry, that once before. I did that once before, believe it or not, and I re-recorded the entire thing. I just listened to my parts back in my head and I just said them verbatim and just yeah. dubbed the new audio over the old audio. Well, we don't it was we don't need to do that here. But you know, we'll, we'll do it live as, as you like to say. Yeah, we'll do it live. No, you sound good now. How many um, let me ask you a question. How many cities in Uzbekistan can you name? None. But I can name two. I, I, I'll tell you the, the thing about this U.S. They so the, the reason why they played Uzbekistan, they had I was told one of the other big teams from Asia, which was probably going to be either Australia, Japan, or South Korea, lined up to come here, and they backed out at the last minute because of quarantine rules in whatever I don't know exactly which country it was, but it was quarantine rules for the people returning to that country. Yeah, that they would have had to quarantine for a week or 10 days upon coming back from the U.S. And that's why they bailed. And there was World Cup qualifying going on in Europe and in most of the rest of CONCACAF, except for the U.S. and Canada. So they couldn't get any team of consequence to come here that wasn't already either booked or, you know, whatever else. So that was the team they could get. And they had going into this FIFA window only four game, four games, three hundred and sixty minutes of game time before the Concacaf Women's Championship in July yeah. in Monterey, Mexico, which is not just the qualifying tournament for next year's World Cup, but also the qualifying tournament for the twenty four Olympics. Right, right. So there's a lot of stakes on that, and Ananovsky's trying to integrate all these young players with um, a year less than he normally has because the Olympics got postponed a year. So he needs to get him some run against somebody else. Yeah. Not yeah. just against themselves. And that's, you know, if you showed up at Subaru Park or in Columbus over the weekend, you know, you knew what you were going to watch because all of us who wrote about it were pretty transparent about it. But you also got to see some really interesting, talented young players who have the potential to be a part of this national team and be really good. For a long time. Trinity Rodman is obviously one. Sophia Smith and Katarina Macario, who was out of this world talent. I wrote about her, you know, ahead of the game here. She's just, she is already really great. She is going to be a superstar soon. She's just an outrageous talent. 
And there were two players um, who made their U.S. debuts in the game here. One of them was Naomi Germa, who's a really, really high-ceiling potential center back out of Stanford. And uh, a veteran goalkeeper named Aubrey Kingsbury, who was the starting goalkeeper for the, the Washington team that won the championship last year. So that was a nice reward for her. Um, and you got, you know, some young and newish players all the way across the back line last night. You've got, you know, uh, Ashley Sanchez in the midfield, who's a young player, Andy Sullivan, who's, you know, going to be the captain of this team for a long time in the future. And, and the young, you know, he, he did a, he didn't quite hockey sub at Vlatko Anonofsky where he did all three at once. Yeah. But he turned his whole front line over during the second half. Played well, all I'm, six of them over the course of the game. And that's still without play, the big four. You can only line up against who's in front of you, you know. Like, right. credit to Uzbekistan for coming over here. You know, I know the quarantine that's rules what he for, said. Some the, for some yeah. of the Asian countries, you know, they're a little more, uh, you know, stringent than we are, obviously. So, I don't, you, you play, you got to rotate in some new blood at some point so i mean if this is what the situation calls for you do it i mean it seems pretty linear to me um the cities that i can name in uzbekistan are tashkent uh, which is the capital yes and uh samarkand samarkand i don't know how you say it was on the silk road i think i think i learned that in high school uh so part of the silk road back in the day went through uzbekistan so there's your geography lesson for today on the always soccer in philadelphia program uh one more quick woso topic uh are yeah. you in are you and carly lloyd cool now did you you did an interview with you guys did you guys iron things I, out? I, I think we have mostly ironed things out at this point and i think we have we have ironed it out to the point that is satisfactory for both of us and we will okay good. go on yeah. about our business I had I had your back in that whole kerfuffle because I was like, yo, it's not John's like job to support the local athlete. Like originally you were just saying like, hey, which was her premise, which was her premise, right? Because she was like, well, I don't get support locally. Well, I mean, I get it. But like the media is not supposed to say rah, rah for the Philadelphia athlete. Like if you think somebody should be starting in place of her, you say it. It doesn't mean you dislike Carly Lloyd. You know, I mean, you could you could substitute any player for that, you know. So I sided on crossingbroad.com. I sided with Jonathan Tannewald on that. Well, and I, um, I, you know, I haven't, I, I'm, I'm always happy when I'm not in your, your brackets, you know, it means I can just keep going about my business, but <laughs> well, maybe I get Carly on the show at some point. We'll talk about yeah, things right. and I'll get her take on it. Um, all right. So Philadelphia union, uh, will they're they, ever, will they ever lose again? Uh, first place in the league, 16 points. Yeah, I mean, Probably going to lose on Saturday, but yeah, they've sure. given they've given up. So they've given up on the on the streak. They've given up one goal. They've scored nine. Um, I mean, they're everything and more. I, I don't I don't think that you know when we said at the beginning of the year, like on paper, this looks like the best team that we've ever seen. Like they're just getting everything from everybody right now. Andre Blake is is amazing. The back line is amazing. Brujo Martinez is doing what he's doing. Alejandro Bedoya looks three years younger. Leon Flock is doing what he does. Daniel Gajdog figured it out. And then between the four strikers, you've got enough of them without necessarily knowing like who a, who a first choice number two is as you work or, you know, into the lineup and get him figured out. Like you're going to get something out of that combination of four guys. So, I mean, I, I, I'm not surprised at all. Are you surprised that they've started this well? I mean, I never expect a team to be undefeated through six games, but they're very good. They're really, really good. I don't think they're the best team in the league. I think Seattle's the best team in the league, but I think the Union are probably number two. 
And the only reason why Seattle going through Champions League, right? right. The only reason why Seattle is not at the top of the power rankings of power rankings is that um, they're in the Champions League, so their league record is not what it could be. But I actually I watched them in person in when I was at the Women's Final Four in Minnesota, which is where I got COVID. uh, The Sounders were in town that same weekend, and I happened to have some time, and so I went over and watched them play the Loons, and they're very good they're deep they're talented um for my money they're the best team in the league and the union are probably number two at this point i don't disagree with that man i mean seattle's a machine and like the union had champions league last year they started out the same way they won one game and then they lost two and then they went on that big unbeaten streak from there so that's why i think the power ranking stuff is sort of like look i mean in general like you know with the small sample size like whatever we can get ahead of ourselves but you know, then you factor in the scheduling thing with MLS and it is what it is. But I would say the union quite easily are a top three team in the league, depending oh, on yeah. how you, how you view Seattle or how you view like a, like an, I don't know, like an LA galaxy or, or whatever, whoever you want to put up there with them. But, um, you know, it was funny cause I do the post game show and, um, you know, on the gambler and one, nothing, they win off an own goal that was scored in the first minute of the game. Then they just defend, defend, defend. I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, what the hell am I going to talk about? You know, on the post game show, I could, I could, because I could dork out, I could geek out over defense all day long. I could talk to you about Jack Elliott's brilliant rotation or how he gets up on this guy's back and doesn't allow him to turn or how Nathan Harriel reads this, you know, uh, you know, offside, weak side rotation or something. But I, but I don't, it's hard. <laughs> it, it's, they're like, they're an interesting watch to me because they go and they get the own goal, right? And for, for Aloy Room, who's a really good, goalkeeper the mistake is like crazy that's two weeks in a row that they had a howler and the way that i kind of like talked about it the way that i tried to add something to that on the radio was to say that you know people aren't in, opponents aren't in positions to make mistakes unless you're like forcing the ball into their territory in the first place and if you right. look at the genesis of that goal they want a foul right off the bat they hit a set piece into the box they recycled the set piece by getting up and keeping the ball in there and that predicated the turnover and so, and 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 since we're recording this on a day when Atletico Madrid is playing in the Champions League. Mm-hmm. They're not Atletico Madrid where they take one chance score and then sit on their asses in two blocks of five. Yeah. I gave yeah, you yeah. an ex- I gave you an explicit rating for this show. Congratulations. <laughs> where they sit back in two blocks of five yeah. for the next 85 minutes. No, they had plenty of other scoring chances in the game. They are they are they are routinely they have multiple times now this season. They have been outpossessed and outshot, but have a considerably higher XG number than yeah. the other team. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty fast. I'm like, I'm not a tactics guy. I'm not a stats wog, but I find that pretty fascinating. That tells me they're playing some good soccer. It does. And you know what the thing is? It's like, so say, let, let's, let's just say we take out away the own goal, right? Say the own goal right. never happened and say the game just finished nil-nil. Like when you go I don't back, think it, and, uh, sure, but I don't think it would finish nil nil. But I get your point. Yeah, no, but say say just for the purposes of the exercise that it does. When you go back and look at the chances that both teams had, you would say that the Union had the better chances. Yes, yeah, I mean, cause, yeah, absolutely. Cause Columbus, Columbus only had like the Pedro Santos like left foot that he just missed wide, but you know, Goshdog had the two. Um, you know, and like you point to the XG numbers, and it's like it's yeah, it's crazy because they're not because everybody everybody has this like false correlation, but and thinks they just sit back all the time, but they don't. They don't. That's not what the union of everything. Because I got questions. You know, I'm asking people. I'm like, hey, you're doing a new podcast today. Um, you know, I got you coming on, and like people are asking like about possession numbers and stuff like that. And I don't think I don't. I maybe I haven't been like reading the right forums or message boards. I don't know like who's arguing about it, whatever. But I don't sense that there's any like misunderstanding of possession. <laughs> 
Well, there's not, and that's why I I asked I asked Jim Curtin after the New York City FC game when they had what twenty seven percent of the possession, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. Jim has been on the record multiple times saying that the possession doesn't like we're not looking for it. I put it in the headline. I said, I said yeah. Jim, you know, counter pressing is one thing, but twenty seven percent possession. And he said point blank, we don't care about possession. Yeah, that yeah. was the headline of my story. We don't care about possession. I don't. So I don't know where the disconnect is coming from. I don't think there's any kind of controversy. I can, here. Maybe I can people, tell you. I can tell you. Um, I can tell you what it is. Maybe people are just trying to wrap their head around it. You know? No. Somebody comes along and asks, are they Manchester City? No. Well, I'm not watching. You're talking about a style of play and making them watchable and making them uh, palatable. I'm talking about do they play in the English Premier League? Well, I mean that's a that goes without saying, you know. Well, sometimes we got to say it. <laughs> even if even if they played a even if they tried to play, you know, tiki taka or whatever, you know, you're still the Premier League people are still going to be the Premier League people. I would ask you this, like the way that I would advance the possession story is like because you and I have watched soccer forever. The listeners of this podcast have watched the game for forever. I don't think that anybody has any trouble appreciating what Jacob Glessis does or what Andre Blake does or what Kai Wagner does or what Nathan Harriel's doing now in his first like full year as a starter. Um, but I, you know, is there like a translation to, I, I don't know, do, do people find, do, do neutrals, do other MLS fans or do like four for four Philly fans? Not that we necessarily give a shit about them, but like, sure. I got easy. Do, yes. do they, do they like look at defense and appreciate defense the same way that we do? Well, do they appreciate, I, I believe, now you're going to have to tell me about this because you know I don't care about, this is the great thing. Somebody says to me, I don't care about soccer. I say back to them, I don't care about football. We've each got a sport that we don't care about, so we're mm-hmm. even. And my understanding is that this town cares about linebackers a lot. And this town <laughs> yeah, cares about, good yeah. about, about point guards a lot. And this cares about, you know, they care about um, defensemen who knock people over on the ice. Mm-hmm. so they like masculine people they like macho people watch this union team play defense i think they'll be masculine enough for you and that's what i say to people i'm like all you all you people who have been complaining about like you know soft defense or soft people like ben simmons they, or whatever. Watch, watch them these are the true they have all of the true the union literally have every single trait that everybody else is yearning for in yes. all these other teams yes there's just you know? one problem they actually win instead of losing losing heroically <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So it's like it's funny. And they'll lose heroically later this year. I don't. I don't think it's funny because I think Probably. union union fans now have been able to watch it enough that even if they were skeptical from the beginning, they can appreciate just how good the defense is. You know, and like it's funny because I, I don't think like, defense is not sexy. I played the position growing up, so like I can talk about it. I know it. I appreciate it. But like you know, you've been around. You go to these like you know, you go to the you go to Starfine or you go to like the park. You go to the pickup game, or even you look at like the jerseys that are in the stadium. You know, how many people wearing a center backs jersey? You know, well, you know, I've written that before. Yeah, they're wearing like they they want, you know, they're wearing the Ronaldo jersey, the Messi jersey, Pulisic, you know, Sebastian Latou, the people who score the goals, the people who provide the assists, the people who make the sexy plays, all about techers. People want to grow up, people grow up wanting to do nutmegs, like wanting to do fancy stuff, you know, but no, but defending is not, nobody grows up, John, saying like, I'm going to be the next Alessandro Nesta. That's funny. I've I've written this before. I'm going to be the next. I've written this before a few times. If there's one guy, whose name I would put on a union jersey, you're going to love this. It's Jack Elliott. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, he embodies everything that he's, people, but, people have and, been talking about this right. team forever. He's not. Now, 
He's not a loud mouth, so he's not going to appeal to a certain segment of Philadelphia. He is. He did go to West Virginia, so that ought to make up for it in the eyes of some people. Right. Um, but he's a. He's been here for a long time, and B. He's really good. I wrote this last year when they had all the COVID absences. Uh, you know, from the Eastern Conference Final. I said, here are the defenders who are out, and, and I put Jack Elliott's name first on the list. And I said, and Elliott's name is first on this list intentionally because he's the most irreplaceable. Yeah. Because Glesnus, who was the high, of, of the two center backs, one stays home more and one presses high. Glesnus is the high presser. He's the guy who gets up. Stuart Finley could do that and can do that. Elliot was the stay-at-home guy. They did not have a second one of those. They arguably still don't. He's the most irreplaceable guy on that back line, I think. If, if all the other starters are there, you can cover for his absence. But if he had been there, and, every, and all the other absences for the final or what they were, it would have made the biggest difference of the four, I think. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question. This is an open-ended question. Say you're like a kid who goes down this year, and like this is the first union team that you're watching, and you want to buy a jersey or something, you know? Like, you know, is, is, is it guys dog? Is yeah, it, it is. is it or I mean, because nobody's still like I don't I don't know how to like it's just funny to me because I don't think like I was saying, like, I don't think people like grew up watching like, you know, Nesta and Cannavaro and Paolo Maldini and all these guys and real Ferdinand and said, like, oh, I want to be that. You kind of just end up being a defender. The other, the other thing I'd tell you is being a defender is like is like hang on. It's like when you like when you're in a band in the 1980s or the 1990s, you don't really like set out to go to Los Angeles to make it big. You just kind of end up there. You know what I mean? Because that's where the scene is, right? So that at yeah. some point in your youth career, the your coach or you figures out like, hey, I'm a good defender. I'm a good defensive midfielder. So you just end up doing that. But nobody's growing up saying like, I want to be Jack Elliott. Maybe they should be. You know what I'm saying? Um, yes. Also, you know, I know you're the expert on 80s and 90s in the music scene, so right. I'll definitely take your word on that. Right, right. Everybody just ended up in LA. Nobody, nobody you know, set I, out. I, to I, I, I mean, I've heard the weather out there is nice. So it is. They, they, you can. And I do this more and more often now when I buy soccer jerseys. You can you can buy the blank and nobody will kill you. Well, that's certainly true. You don't have to wear another man's or another woman's name on your back if you don't want to. And in M- I like especially with MLS jerseys. Be honest with you, I would buy them blank. Because yeah. not all that many people stick around. No, it's true. It's a lot of turnover. I mean, like who's the longest tenured like 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 Graham Zusi? You know, is he like yeah. the longest tenured like player in the league now? Uh, Andre's Andre's probably getting up there at this point. Yeah, he's on eight years, close yeah. to close to nine at this. So point. you know, it's the 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 lightning kit is is pretty sharp without a name on the back. You can get one of those. Let me make another point about yeah. the goalkeeper howler real quick. I think like when you have your first, everybody needs like an instance in whatever they do to kind of settle in to kind of get into a groove and feel their way into it, whether it be a game or a job or a day or a routine or something like that. So for room, the first, you know, experience that he has touching the ball is trying to back up and grab a cross. Right. So I can understand why a mistake would be made like that. You can probably relate to this. I can relate to this. Like every morning when I sit down and I like type out the first crossing broad story, and I get it up on the site. And I'm like, all right, I'm now I'm like, 
I've started, like I'm in a groove and then it becomes automatic. You know, like you're in the zone. Right. And I think like you're more, you, you know, those howlers, those errors probably are more likely to occur like early on when, before you've like had a real touch before you've settled into the I mean, they're under pressure right away because it was like kickoff foul, set piece, recycled balls coming back in. It's like, oh, shit, I'm not even, like, ready. I haven't even, like, started the game yet. That's what they do, man. You know? And that's, that's what, what they the do. do. That's what they do, you know? Um, and and but- the, the thing about I – mean, I want to – let's talk for a minute about the counter-pressing general and why it's, you know, it's, it's, it's successful because it works which is a dumb thing to say, but oh, you watch it. <laughs> uh, melting down the internet on... Uh... You, you watch <laughs> it, and you realize, A, it works. B, they've got the... You know, American players like to get out and run, so the pressing fits them naturally. And in this league, if you've got an actual plan and a philosophy, and the players to do it right, you're going to win a lot of games. Mm-hmm. You're going to win a lot of games because there's still, there's still a lot of teams in this league. And, and I watched Minnesota recently, so I have a little bit of recency bias. On it. There's still a lot of teams that just have either a stack of players and they just go out and play jazz, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Or you've got a manager who's like D.C. United is an example of this. The guys they're bringing in this summer are going to make them a lot better because they've got a manager with a clear tactical philosophy, but he needs the time to go out and get the players to make it work. And now he's he's doing that, and they're about to get a lot better. Um, the union have the philosophy and a smart sporting director and a good manager and the players to make it all work, and they're winning games. And I think about this too. You know, I was I've we've all been watching the U.S. men recently. There's a school of thought out there, including from the men and Blazers, that says that the U.S. men's team should play counterattacking and maybe even counterpressing football a little more than they then instead of trying to play out of the back possession, et cetera. Yeah. And, you know, when, when Ernie Stewart went over to U.S. soccer and started building all this out, in addition to the fact that he's Dutch instead of German and the Dutch are a little more possession-oriented and the Germans are more pragmatic, you know, the, the counter-pressing was not really in style yet when Stewart went over there. No. So he's building out of something. He wants to be more possession. And he also, we know this, when the U.S. team plays direct football, I'm calling it football. Sorry. Too fine, man. When the U.S. men play direct, a whole bunch of people go out on Twitter and say, oh, my God, they're unsophisticated and morally inferior. Two wee Euro snobs. Yeah. So part of the reason why they're playing possession is to for that purpose. Well, now you're at a time where the counter-pressing is more popular and more successful in the world's game. The U.S. could play it very easily and probably be very successful at it, even with this group of players. Yeah. But they're not going to do it yet. Because, you know, there's still a group of people out there who know that they're going to get called unsophisticated. 
It just makes so much sense to me because Jay Sugarman was telling us five, six, seven years ago, like whatever the quote was, we're not going to line up with our muskets and fire our muskets and take out more people than the other team, you know? And like he was admitting, like we all knew he wasn't going to spend, you know? So what, if you're not going to spend and you're not going to have a $5 million striker out there, what philosophy can you adopt in order to make it work? Well, you can press and you can have hardworking grinder guys because hardworking grinder guys don't cost $5 million. Well, flip, flip side, $5 million players don't want to run and don't want to press in the first place. So it was like the perfect thing for the union. It's like, we'll bring these kids through that are hungry and young and they have legs. We'll find unheralded guys who really, really want it and they're going to work hard. We're not going to put you know, Gonzalo Iguain out on the field so he can walk around and have bad body language and complain about his teammates. You know, I was going to say, I'm, I'm not putting Gonzalo Iguain on my team either, but that's no, it was, but it was the most <laughs> like, it's the most union thing of all time. And like, it's funny because like, I, you know, I give Jay some credit begrudgingly, even though it took them like 10 years to be competitive in the first place to like put something together to, to, to find something that was congruent, a style of play that was congruent with their philosophical approach to spending and building from within. This team could, really couldn't play any other style. You take this configuration of 11 guys and say, let's play 4-2-3-1 possession-oriented. They, could, they couldn't play that. You know well, What the union are is reflective in the philosophy that they've chosen, but there's not a lot of flex out of that, I don't there, think. There, there's... You think back to 2018, what they could have been if they'd kept Coach Collins. And if Stu- if Stewart had stayed, yes, yeah, you know when they were trying to do that like Dutch model, like the Utrecht like four two three one, and and they were at times that team was playing some good ball, mm-hmm. and then Stewart left. He gets replaced with a German, you know, architect of counterpressing, and you know immediately Medunian's not going to work. No. Dogecoin probably wouldn't. No, probably wouldn't. Probably wouldn't have worked, but no. you know, just wasn't worth the. And they all, we also forget how much of a headache it was going to be to get him out of China. Like it was me a problem. Right. right, 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 right. And in fact, the one guy who I would have been very interested to see play in this system is Nagara. Vince Nogara. Yeah. I bet good, you would have, he would have loved it. Well, it's a good question to ask the other way, too, because, you know, if you were still, you know, because Ernie, they had brought Derek Jones through and they had started moving on the academy when Ernie was still here. And, and like, you wonder how many of those guys that they brought, like, what would Brendan Aronson look like if he was playing in Ernie's, like, four, two, three, one? Oh, he'd be, kind of, I think he'd be fabulous. I think he'd be fabulous, but he'd be a much, he'd be a much different, you know, a much different kind of player. You know, I think, like, a lot of what they bring through the academy, like it's easier for those guys to slide into a counter pressing system versus any kind of possession, beautiful football kind of thing. I mean, yeah. when we were watching them in 2018, who were the guys who were knocking the ball up around the right side? It was Madunian, it was Bedoya, it was Ilsino, it was all these like experienced veteran dudes. I look at like Jack McGlynn, I think Jack McGlynn could have played on that team very easily. Oh, yeah. I think Brendan Aronson Sullivan probably could have too. Quinn Sullivan, probably. I don't know if some of these other guys like slide into that system the way that they I, would have this. I, I think, I think, I think it's easier to go from a counter pressing system to a possession system than the other way around. Because you got to be built to speed up. Yeah. 
and it's a little easier to you know slow down for a game or two with the national team than it is to speed up for 30 a year with a club that's true yeah um it's funny how we're talking about all these abstract concepts because there really wasn't a ton to talk about from the game. I mean, like Gaj Dog had a. Ain't that what we do? All we ever do is talk about abstract concepts. No, no, but I, I mean, I like to, but normally, like, I mean, like on most shows, like I don't write a lot of notes down. Like this is like a combination of what I had from like the post game, too. So I'm Ray Didinger here. I'm holding, I'm actually holding up, a, holding up a notepad, right? But like, what else did I write down? I wrote down in the first half, they weren't winning enough balls. I wrote that Jose Martinez is never allowed to shoot from distance ever again. Well, that's, yeah, that's, I agree. If I got to see him wind up from 40 yards again, I'm going to like blow my lid. Um, I mean, what did you think of or or's game? Cause I, you know, he had like a couple, he had the narrow angle shot and then he had uh, like that back heel on the side where he kind of sprung Bedoya forward. I, it seemed like he wasn't very involved for like a good 15 or 20 minutes there, but I like, I see enough. I, I, I guess I see enough flashes from him that I'm not concerned about I, anything. Like he looks like he has it. He's oh, just he has, he, I don't, I don't think there's, there's no doubt to me that he has it. He's going to be fine. I think it's yeah. still, I think it's still a little in his head. He just got to score that first goal, get out of his head, you know? Yeah. And then they'll start and, coming from and, there. And, and, you know, you talk about him not doing anything in a game for 15 minutes. That's life a little bit, you know, as a striker. Yeah. In, in a system like this, they're not going to see the ball for, Extended periods of time. Yeah, yeah. The metrics to the med the measurements to me are: is Gazdag on the ball a lot? And the answer is yes. Is he finding the right, you know, the right passes to Carranza? Carranza clearly he's got it. He built uh, chemistry with Carranza in no time. Yeah, uh, I, I thought that, that the two of them. Um, I wrote this some. Too. They've looked very good together. Um, and and or you know, they'll get. There. I'd have no. There's no doubt to me that he'll get there. Um, okay. You know. Well, let me ask you, you this: got, you play you play a game, and and Columbus is not such a game, but you play a game where Wagner can get on the ball a lot and hit some crosses in. Yeah. Corey is going to get on one of them, and then that'll be that, I think. I only got two more for you. Um, So, I mean, this is the easiest, like, 11 to write out. Like, Andre Blake, you're back four, you're diamond, and then you're two strikers. But, you know, with the strikers, like, I think we would both agree that Orr starts. Um, Do you you take – I mean – It's not a question to me. So, what is then – Sergio, because here's here's my only problem with that is that I think Carranza's in form. I like what he's doing the last couple of games. I think there are tactical matchups that are going to make sense for Sergio to start and be the partner. Um, but th- now Burke is also a change of pace off the bench as well because he's a bulldog because he's physical. So are you looking at a situation where we think it's just going to be Carranza and or starting nonstop and then you you get Burke and Santos both in the game as subs every game, or is it just going to be like a case-by-case basis? Like, I, I think I would do more. I would look a little bit more about swapping Santos for Carranza based on the matchup. Maybe. I think you're going to see Santos start some, especially on Wednesdays. But uh, you got two striker spots, and you know who your best two are. 
stardom. Mm-hmm. That's it for me. Yeah. And Jim, Jim has said as much. Jim said as much before the Columbus game that he knew he needs to start Ori and Carranza together and give them extended run together and let them build that chemistry and be the top two forwards on this team, which is what they're paid to be and go to work. Here's the last one. If you could pick one defense to start whatever system, it doesn't matter what the system is. Are you picking Jacob Glesnes, Jack Elliott, Kai Wagner, and Nathan Harriel, or are you picking Shannon Williams, Carlos Valdez, Danny Califf, and Jordan Harvey? Yeah. Yeah. I'm picking the current. They're just so much better than anything else. This team's had. I would begrudgingly agree, and I hate saying that because I loved that 2011 back line. And, like, when you look at, like, Brian Carroll sitting in front of them too, I mean, they were fantastic that year. I think the difference for me is that Peter's team sat back a little more, you know. And, you know, Jim's team this year, Ernst's team, call it Ernst's team too, you know, it was much more frenetic stuff up the field, you know, more chaotic, more moving parts, a higher line. They're playing a much higher line. I also just think the center backs are better. Straight up better. Like Valdez was yeah. really good. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Klesnitz and Elliott are at, right now are better than he was. I know because I used to say that like Carlos is uh, either the second half of 2011 or that 2012 year he had where he was an all star, but the team stunk. Like yeah. I think he, I think that was the best individual union center back year before Mark McKenzie's 2020. Yeah. And then. But the pro- the problem now with this team is that like, Glessness and Elliott are both good. It's like they're gonna like like how, how do you like divide up who gets the plaudits from them? You well, know, and, if, and- if, they're, if they're like there's because you can't tell me right now that the defender of the year is not on that back line somewhere. But how are you no. gonna like differentiate between the and, two of them? And know? I think I think my answer to that is if I was going to predict who would get the award, it's going to be Glessness because he's the runner and the presser and the shooter from 30 yards and the, you know gets the headlines. It's my vote. I'm giving it to Jack Elliott. I know. He's just so solid, man. And he's playing on a different – like last year he was playing on the, on the left side when he had played on the right side the year before. He's and just – like just the flexibility, like the brain, like everything is just perfect with him. so consistent. Yeah, yeah. And even keeled – and he doesn't make just, mistakes, man. I, no. I said it, I said it kind of for effect on Twitter, but I meant it at the same time. It's like, I, I don't like truly, I can't remember the last time he made a mistake or did something wrong. Well, and I don't like sometimes, you know, maybe he will on Saturday and you know that. But, well, I mean, maybe you're like, yeah, the jinx, right? But maybe you're like, you know, a little slow on a rotation, or maybe like there's a ball that ends up being like fluffed and it goes out of bounds. You could have played it a little better, but I can't, I can't remember like the last time I was like, went on Twitter and said, well, it was a mistake by Jack Elliott, you know, or like, you know, this is a major glaring error or whatever. I don't remember anything that he's done in recent times that have like this led to a goal. I mean, they've only and given up two goals anyway. You, you go and I, I use FODMOB for my in-game stats. You go and you look at the totals of interceptions, recoveries, blocks, tackles, it's passing, et cetera. Not, so little of what he does in a game commands attention. Mm-hmm. But the numbers every game are just through the roof at the final whistle. Yeah. 
Yeah. I love it, man. I don't have to. I mean, you don't got to convince me to say anything more about Jack Elliott. Um, don't know Marlon LeBlanc either. No, um, I got to get Marlon back on the show at some point, too. He's a I good bumped, guy, man. Yeah, I, I bumped like into him. him at YSC actually a couple couple weeks ago. He was like on the phone or something. So we just did like a little like wave or something. But um, um, I won't keep you any longer. What, uh, I'll give you the floor, though. Final thought. What's on your mind? It's not a hard question. Like, no, I just, there's always a million things on my mind. Mm. And I just, you know, this team's good, man. This team's actually legitimately good. They're like damn good. Oh, you know, I know what it was. You had a Mount Rushmore question for me. (laughs) I I did mention that. Yeah. I think I wrote it down. I forgot to look at it. Yeah. Um, Mount Rushmore of things that I hate. Here's the Mount Rushmore of things that Jonathan Tannen will take. Well, let me give you, you got to give the yeah. background though. Cause people yes. are like, what's, what's he talking about here? So Alec Bohm came out the other night at the Phillies game. We had the big crazy, you know, I fucking hate this place thing, which by the way, as a quick a side, he, him going and apologizing and showing accountability for that is, is that's all anybody in it's Philadelphia standing ovation last night. Didn't that's all that anybody has ever asked for. Right. I mean, like yeah. you're not playing well, the fans get on your ass. You say something you probably regret. You apologize for it and you own it. And then you got a ton of respect from, from the fans who are giving you a standing ovation the next night. That's a cycle of life. It's, like it doesn't, it doesn't have to be any more complicated. You say the fans are actually easily over one over, but you know, the fans are actually easily won over. Oh my God. That's just simple. It's not a complicated. Everybody tries to complicate it, but it's not, you know I mean? That's, that's, you know what it is. So anyway, I was joking with you on Twitter. I was like, I'll add, when you come on the show, I'm going to ask you for your Mount Rushmore places that you fucking hate. So <laughs> All right. Uh, places that I fucking hate. The the pothole. There you go. Pen dot reference too, just for you. <laughs> the pothole ridden stretch of what is it, Twenty Sixth Street or Penrose Avenue, whatever it is. Oh. You get off Seventy Six, you're driving over to Ninety Five. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's one terrible. Two is the stretch of 95 from south of the airport to the Commodore Barry Bridge. Yes. Third, um, Rainy Street on game days, they've now blocked off. You can't turn right on Rainy Street. You have to actually turn left <laughs> coming off the bridge and go into, you know, into the lot seaside coming around or yeah. Go all the way down to Flower Street. I sense a, p- a pattern here. And 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 since I've now made it to Subaru Park, I will go back to the start and say uh, the drive from uh, where I live downtown, 276. So this covers almost the entirety <laughs> of my drive to Subaru Park. Yeah. And why is that, Kevin? Because I hate driving Subaru Park. I, I get it. I get it. Yeah, I was going to say I sensed uh, something uh, very, uh, very common there. All right, I just wrote these uh, down real quick while you were saying that. I was paying attention, though. Um, the four things that I hate are PennDOT, the uh, Philadelphia Department of Revenue, who still owes me $500, even though I've been out of the city for almost two years now. Um, the tax, the way that we do taxes uh, in the United States. My wife 
took her like it was a super complicated thing because like they didn't have her pin number. like irs lost her like fucking pin number or something she couldn't like e-file or something like that so i hate the taxes in uh the way that we do turbo ta- i'm not a shill but i use turbo taxes very yeah. good and quick. well the one the one problem is that like two years ago i had like nine different 1099s and so it was like a nightmare trying to do it but the final thing that i hate is the guy who goes on facebook and responds to your stories and he says why is this news it's news because i just i decided it was because i put it up on my site you know so if you don't like it you can put it up on your site How about that uh, sure yeah, of course for me. Um, but not to end on a Negadelphia note, I just thought that was an exercise we should do. Everything's positive, man. The union are great. Everything's good. Um, John's COVID negative. You know, we'll get him back out in the field soon. And the union are winning games that they may never lose again. So Jonathan Tannenwald from Philadelphia Inquirer. So it's a pleasure uh, catching up with you, my man. And uh, maybe one of these days I'll actually uh, see you in person again if I can make it down. If you can uh, stomach the drive to Subaru Park and I actually can break free from my two kids for – for a day let's hope so man good talk all right. all right all right a couple of questions here not a ton but we'll go through them first one actually came in on a uh, email or dm i guess actually and uh somebody wanted to know about gambling and uh about my Serie A gambling and what teams i was betting on uh the two teams i bet on most in uh Serie A were sassuolo and uh atalanta made a lot of money off of atalanta at first because they were always you know, good to score two or three goals, you know, so the overs, the Atalanta overs were always, were always pretty good money. Sassuolo was always a good, like, BTTS, you know, both teams to score, you know, team or, like, score a couple as well. They were always good for, like, two a game, you know. Um, interestingly enough, I lost more money on Serie A than any other league out there, and uh, people are probably laughing because it's like, well, you know, there's a lot of match fixing in Serie A. Well, yeah, you know, but, <laughs> you know, but it's also a quirky league because there's different patterns. You know, Serie A plays out a lot differently, uh, than other leagues, just stylistically, right? Like Italian teams are very organized and defend well. So, uh, one I've done like three separate gambling runs where I kind of make some money, pull everything out, and then give it a break and then start up again a little bit later, right? So, in the first gambling run, I made like three thousand dollars. Second one, I made like four hundred dollars. And the most recent run that I did, I made like negative forty dollars or something, right? So, one of the things I was doing actually that made me money the uh, second time around was that every time there was a red card. I just had an app on my phone. Every time there was a red card in the game, I would immediately just put 20 bucks on the other team, right? Because, you know, most of the time the team playing down a man goes on to lose or whatever, right? And I did this to the to the tune of making like 400 or $500 or something, you know? So, again, I wasn't like betting my gut or whatever. I was just trying to find patterns that I could exploit and uh, make money off of, right? So I was like, hey, this worked out the last time. Let me do it again this time. And uh, so I did that on my third go. But everything for some reason was just happening the opposite way. Uh, especially in Serie A, and kind of like what I d- discovered was, you know, Italian teams are so organized and so compact defensively that you know if like a like a Bologna goes down a man, and uh, it's like a one-one game or something, that game is probably finishing one-one because they just sit back, they don't concede, and like Italian teams like to poke and like to prod, but they're not like battering down your door, you know, scoring goals or doing anything like that. So it's just interesting, kind of like looking at those patterns and. Um, you know, determining how they how they play out. It actually was com- the complete opposite this last time. So um, probably won't wouldn't you know if I went back and did like a fourth gambling run, I probably wouldn't you know bet on Serie A or soccer at all to be quite honest. So, um, right, Joe says if Chelsea ditched Pulisic and sold him to Philly after the UCL collapse, where would he fit in uh, Jim and Ernst's preferred formation? Well, he'd be a gosh dog spot, yeah, you know, for sure. Number ten 
could play as a striker too. Um, definitely as a striker in a, in a two-striker formation for sure. Uh, Shane says with the back line as strong as it is, should we drop Flock from the 11 in favor of a, like a Paxton or a McGlynn or a Sullivan? Uh, what will we lose over gaining some offense? Yeah, I mean, I would be I would be interested in seeing that for a game, you know, like seeing like a Jack McGlynn for sure start. Um, especially because Alejandro Bedoya is doing some stuff on the other side too, and he looks better that like Leon is just, yeah, Leon's Leon, like he's not a grinder. I thought it was the funniest thing in the Columbus game. He tracked all the way back into like his own corner and he won the ball and <laughs> started bringing it out. And just like, it, it was like a, it was like a great tackle and he dispossessed the guy and, you know, it was like vintage Leon Flock. And then the other half of it was that he just – and then he just booted the ball up the field to like absolutely nobody, nobody at all. I think it just went straight to another team's center back – to the other team's center back. And it was like the most Leon Flock play of all time, you know, like amazing defensive play, and then just goes and kicks the ball to nobody in particular. So to answer the question, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing another eight start just to see what it looks like, you know. Um, this is from Jeff. He says, long-time listener, first-time tweeter. Oh, thank you. Um can you explain XG and XGA and tell me if I should care about either? Uh, MLS seems to include it in a lot of their articles. Um, yeah, sure, man. Um, yeah, look, it, like XG is expected goals. Uh, XGA is expected goals allowed. You know, they have uh, XA, you know, ex- expected uh, assists, right? So um, XG is calculated basically by um, – you know, when a, when a shot comes in, they it's like a multi multi data uh, multi factor uh, kind of statistic where you know if you take a shot, they look at like the distance, how far you were from the goal. They look at like the position of the defenders. Um, they look at the type of pass that came in. Was it a cross? Was it on the ground? You know, how fast was the pass coming in? Um, are you directly in front of the goal? Is are you like at an angle? Um, so they kind of like you know give a they they look at all these different factors that what leads up to an actual shot taking place and then what happens is they put all those factors together and they assign each goal scoring attempt like a like a number right um, you know between like zero and one so for example you know if you if I rolled the ball to you and you were like right in front of the doorstep and there were zero defenders around you that would get like a one that would be given like a value of one. But if you're Jose Martinez and you've got 10 guys in front of you and you're trying to uncork a shot with your weak foot from 40 yards out, that that value would get like a 0.1, you know? So they combine all the value based on these different data sets or, uh, you know, points of data, I guess I should say. And then they use they combine it all into like one uh, number that adds up to your XG for the game. You know, basically it just determines like how good your scoring chances were, how how many goals you probably should have scored based on like what they determined to be a good goal scoring chance versus like not a good goal scoring chance. So that's basically the way it works. Um, uh, as to answer the other part of it, should you care? Um, yes, but you know, like every, you know, every, every stat advanced stat, I, I think the problem is that there a lot of people who do data never played the game. And so I think it's hard for them to factor, or maybe they don't understand that you can never factor in certain human element to these, uh, you know, pieces of, of data and these formulas, right? So what I mean by that is like, hey, um, you know, how tired is a guy? You know, like, did he sleep well last night? Um, did he just get divorced? You know, is his like, is does he have a lot weighing on his mind? You know, does, is he expecting a baby? Like, does he like the coach? You know, are you facing like the, is the wind at your back or is like the sun in your face or like, you know, is this guy, 
um, just not feeling it, you know, in that game. You know, I mean, there's so many like little little things that you can't that you can't measure. You know what I mean? So, and to their credit, they try to measure as much as they can. Um, but you know, it's like there's certain things that you're just never going to be able to to do that. You know, so I, I mean, yeah, XG is pretty good, and they're always trying to refine and you know, make these things better. But um, you know, data data only gets you so far. So. Um, Darren says, uh, we're riding high off the defense right now. Can we keep that up if Kai gets sold midway through the season? Uh, no, no. I mean, he's, he's pretty much irreplaceable at this point. You'd have Anton Sorensen or Matt Real coming in. Nathan Harriel can play on the left if he wanted. Um, Olivia and Baizo, I guess, could come in and play on the left if he wanted. But no, I think he's, he's irreplaceable. Sully asks a complicated question that I don't really have an answer to, but I'll read it anyway because it's a good one. Um, what will Union 2 and MLS Next Pro mean for non-league play, such as U.S. Open Cup and the Leagues Cup? Uh, will the Union be able to add roster spots with players like uh, Perdomo and um, Riasco in those situations? Bigger picture, Colin, could this, could this reduce the impact that the MLS salary cap has in future CCL uh, or Club World Cup competition by allowing Next Pro affiliated players to associate with the senior team in those comps? I, yeah, I kind of like it. You know, but I mean, you would, you, the thing is, like, you think that you have enough roster spots as it is on the senior team that, you know, if U.S. Open Cup came around, then Quinn Sullivan would start. And then, you know, maybe like, you know, a, a Sorensen would start like a Cole Turner. Like you already have guys on the roster who are like, you know, close enough to getting minutes that you think that you could give them minutes if they played again, like the, you know, the Harrisburg City Islanders or Penn FC or whatever the fuck they're called now, you know. So um, it's an interesting topic. Maybe people can just chew on that a little bit, you know. Uh, Matt says, why does Jim refuse to sit Ollie even when it's clear he's done after 60 to 65 minutes? Um, I think he may start doing that when they go Wednesday, when they have midweek games. Um, also, who can we at least afford to lose in the transfer window in the summer? I would say Kai Wagner for sure. Um, Jose Martinez would be big, but Leon Flock can play back there too. So I think it's easier to replace D-mid than, than left back for sure. Um, Chris says, who do you think is the best striker combo for the team? I mean, John and I talked about this. I, st- I still want to see – I want to see Orr and Sergio Santos a little bit as much as I want to see the Orr-Carranza thing f- blossom and, and flourish at the same time. So I want to see both of those things, but I would start Carranza probably. Um, Jared says, does Jim uh, make the jump to Europe in the summer? And if he does, can they restock from the coaching tree like they have in the academy? I'm not really sure. You know, Ryan Richter's in there now. Ryan's young. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know if they can promote from within. They could have with Pat Noonan if he went elsewhere, obviously. Um, I don't think he makes the jump to Europe this summer, but I can see it happening at some point, you know? Um, I mean, with the new glasses Jim has, he's already looking German, you know, he's looking very Jurgen Klopp like with the clear glasses. So, uh, maybe somewhere in the Bundesliga, I could, I could see him following Jesse's path. Jesse Marsh's path, you know, by the way, it's a quick thing. Isn't it stupid? Isn't the English media so stupid with him? Like Gary Lineker, who's a, who's a clown, who's like an anti-MLS, anti-American clown, makes like a Ted Lasso quip in an interview like Sunday or whatever. And like Jesse Marsh, you know, he's asked to be like perfect in every press conference. It's like, well, this guy's American. He doesn't know fuck all about football, you know, or whatever. So, you know, you got to be like at the top of your game. It's like, I don't know. It's like more expected of him. He's got to be perfect. Everything has to be said perfect because you have more to prove as an American playing over there or coaching over there, either one of those, you know? So the whole thing is just, I I find it very corny, you know? Uh, DJ says, what's the highest level team that Andre Blake, highest level team or league that Andre Blake could be a regular starter for? 
Uh, right now. Um, man, I mean, he could be a shot stopper on any team. I, I think the thing with Andre is just his, his feet, you know, like his distribution. You know, I mean, how good are his feet at this point in his career? He could definitely, definitely play in Belgium, Austria, Netherlands, you know, anything outside the top four for sure. I mean, maybe he could play in uh, Germany. I could see Andre Blake playing in Germany probably, right? Um, but, I, you know, Premier League, La Liga, uh, Italy, I don't know. You know, it's, they look at goalkeepers differently over there. There's a lot has to do with distribution in your feet and whatnot. Um, shot stopping comes naturally. Like, you get to a point with goalkeepers where, like, okay, they can all stop shots. You know, and so what are the other parts of your your game? Like, where do you separate yourself? You know, so that's a good question. Um, you know, they looked to sell him five or six years ago; it never happened. So here he is, and I think for them, they're glad that it worked out that way. So, go figure. Uh, all right, that's it for now. Um, episode one fifty one, and uh, thanks everybody. We'll see you next time. <laughs>